if you don't know James Michael, James Michael uh, is a friend of the Forest Hills family. Um, his father was the pastor there for uh, some number of years. Twelve. For twelve years. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, and if you have, since 1711's conception, spent any time in that space, odds are that I've taught something that uh, is credited, and, and I've made sure to credit to James Michael Smith. We've looked at a number of his studies over the years. We've taken a peek at his uh, You Want to Be Left Behind Revelation study. That's how he kicked 1711 off, in fact. We've even pulled some information out of his Bible versus Science study um, and his Bible for the Rest of Us, uh, all of those Title should ring bells with those of you who frequent that space. Um, some of the information that you guys will be um, the beneficiaries of during the Sex and Dating series this year will also be attributed to James Michael Studies. Because I have a lot of time on my hands, but I don't, he seems to always have more. Uh, he reads more, he studies more, he knows more. He's the guy that I call when I have Bible questions. So I thought, well, actually, this is his idea. Um, that instead of him bringing something that he's already got uh, kind of in the hopper, um, like he has for the past couple of years to teach to you guys, uh, that he would kind of turn everything around on you guys. And we opened up the floor to questions. And we have a number of those. We're going to answer a few of these a time each night. Um, so we'll kick it off with an easy one because all of these were super easy, were they not? Yeah, just snoozers. Light, yeah, lightweight. <laughs> um, so the first one is this. Uh, and this, some of these were submitted by students in, uh, in this room, I believe. So first one. Why do we have, James Michael, no evidence of dinosaurs in the Bible when we have a fossil record as proof of their existence? Yeah, that is a good question, and that's a question that gets asked when you first learn about dinosaurs, which is when you're a kid, and dinosaurs are awesome. Every little kid loves dinosaurs, that's just a scientific fact. And then you turn to the Bible and you try to find it, and you come up short because they're not in there. Um, but it's like asking that question is like asking why can't I find my favorite recipe in the phone book? Like, phone books are before Google. They had a book and they would bring it to your house, <laughs> and it would have phone numbers printed in it. I'm just making sure because uh, I have not seen one in years. But um, but it's it's like asking that like why can't I find my or or, or why can't I find directions to s this place and and picking up a phone book? And it's because it has to do with the purpose. I mean, this is the biggest. One of the biggest things that I address in my teaching, in my teaching ministry, I usually teach adults. In fact, this is the only speaking event I do ever for uh, students. Like, you guys are the only students that I ever talk to. <laughs> Everybody else I talk to are adults. And, uh, but this is, I've, I really love Forest Hills, and, and I love you guys and, and the program. And so I always like to come and, and share this weekend with you. One of the biggest things I do in my ministry is teach people that the Bible is a certain thing that was written to be and not another thing that people want it to be. So people come to the Bible and they start asking, immediately start asking all these questions, like where are cavemen? Where did Cain get his wife? You know, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Like all of these questions that, you just think about it, that one if it doesn't make sense yet. But they have all of these questions about the Bible and then they turn to it, it doesn't answer it. It just does not answer it. And one of the big ones is, is things about science and creation, Big Bang, you know, cosmology, all of that kind of stuff. And the thing that, the thing that's, for me, that's most helpful is when you read the Bible, seeing it as what it is and being aware that a lot of the questions that you're going to ask it, it was not written to answer. 
It doesn't mean those questions are wrong. You're free to ask them. But God said two things. He said, look to my word for your faith, but also look at around at creation. He says it in Psalm 19. The psalm is balanced right in half. Half of it's on God's word, half of it's on all of creation and what people can see around them. So God encourages things like the study of science. God encourages, I mean, the whole scientific revolution was born out of a Christian theistic worldview. The view that we're not controlled by uh, capricious spirits that are just kind of doing their thing and you got to pacify one and get on the good side of the other and do this chant and say this prayer and eat this food and do this stuff to get the gods to send rain and that kind of stuff. But actually science, the whole enterprise was born out of the idea that there's a God, he's created the universe, he's created it orderly, it's not chaotic and there's, there is rhyme and reason behind it. And you see this in Genesis, and, and, and Genesis 1 in particular. I want, just, let me just show you visually on the board here what I mean by this. Um, and if we had time, the whole session, I, I might have even done this one time with you guys, I don't remember, but you could do a whole session just on this. But if you look at Genesis, the way it goes, the way it's written, it divides creation up into these days. And so you have day one, I'll just listen here. When, you, when you're reading Genesis, you've got to read it. If you read the, the whole account on day one, you might know what God creates on day one. Like there's Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the whole overview. That's everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's all of it. Then, verse 2, now, the earth, and so it jumps back to the actual creation of the earth. It's already skipped forward to the creation of the earth. So if what we hear in science class is true, 15 billion years have already passed, give or take, I don't know, 10 billion years, between God's creating and then the earth. Because the earth didn't arrive on the scene for a long, long, long time. So if, if, if the scientific account, if astronomers are true, if, if all that's correct, no, no reason to dispute it, Genesis 1-1 encompasses everything. Genesis 1-2 then says, now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was hovering over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so you have, God says, anybody remember, let there be? Light. Yeah, let there be light. <coughs> so God created the light, and he saw it was good. He called the light good. day, and the darkness he night. called night. There was evening, there was morning, day one. So God, on day one, creates Daytime and nighttime separates the two, divides it up. So just, just hang with me for a minute. You'll see why this matters. Day two then. You might know what he does on day two. This is, this is serious trivia. I don't even know. If like land. Oh. So almost. Not, land's not yet. Yeah. There's, there's, everything's just this watery mist, chaos, just water everywhere. And so he separates. He says, let the waters below be gathered and the waters above be separated by this thing called the expanse, or the dome, or the whatever, the Hebrew word, it's just this rounded thing. And uh, so there's waters above and waters below. So there's a separation of waters, and the waters above would be clouds, rain, what we call precipitation, waters below would be everything else. And he separates uh, water and the sky calls this thing sky. So that's the second thing, day two. In day three, anybody remember? Day three? Yeah. He says, let the waters be gathered to one place, 
and uh, and so the land is kind of emerges. So there's land, and then he says, "Let the land bring forth vegetation." And so it says, "The land produced all these trees according to their kind, seeds according to their kind." And the specific things that are being named are the, are the types of trees that ancient Israelites were familiar with and worked with every day. So he creates land, and I'll just say, I'll just abbreviate vegetation. Interesting thing in day three. God says, God doesn't say, let there be bushes. There's bushes. Let there be mossy oak trees. Oak trees. Let there be grass. He doesn't say any of that. He says, let the land bring forth these things. So in creation already, there's this ability within creation itself to bring forth creation which has to play into how you learn in biology and the development of life and things changing and evolving and all this kind of stuff. But this is what we have so far in these three days. Then on day four, what's, what enters the picture? Anybody remember? Animals. Not birds. Yeah, he says two great lights. God created two great lights. The bigger one to rule the day and the lesser one to rule the night. So he creates what we call the sun and the moon. And then there's this little throwaway line that says, and he also created the stars. And this is important because, and it never says sun or moon, it always says greater light, lesser light in Genesis. There's a reason for that, but it's not important for this talk. Um, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now this is a big deal because in the, in, in the religions that Israel was surrounded by, these were the gods. In fact, the name of the sun is the name of the sun god in other cultures around Israel. Same thing with the moon and the stars especially. You, you, people do it today still, like with, with um, newspaper horoscopes. Yeah, they, they think, you know, it, the stars have something to do with how your life's going to turn out. Well, in, in the times of Israel, they, that was big business. I mean, that was like science to them, is, is just calculations and, and everything was dependent on the stars and when you're born, all this stuff. But God creates them on day four. Then on day five, anybody know what comes on the scene? Birds and fish. Yeah. He says, let <laughs> the waters, let the oceans, the waters teem with life. Let them bring forth living things. And so basically you end up with, and the words are kind of generic in Hebrew, but swimmers and flyers. The birds of the air, the things that fly across the expanse of the sky. Um, and, and those are created, and it says, let the, you know, bring forth, it talks about teeming with, with uh, the fish, and, and there's even a phrase in there that says, and the great creatures of the deep. And that word is actually the word for like sea monster, or sea serpent, or dragon, or big scary thing. Like all the stuff that's really terrifying to people that lived in the ancient world that were not seafarers. But it's like God saying, okay, now let them come forth on day five. And then the last one, on day six, what do we have? Yeah, we have mammals and people. And then there's a whole thing that God goes off on. The first poem in the Bible is on day six, and um, got male and female in his image. And then on day seven, everything's rest. Everything's finished. And rest just means like ceased, ceased. Not rest, like, ooh, that was tiring. So, 
Now, why did I go through this and what does this have to do with dinosaurs? Well, there's a lot of ways that people have looked at this in Genesis. Some people have said, and you might have heard this, um, you just read it as it's given, and that's what happened. And, and it was all roughly, you know, six to 10,000 years ago, evolution's a bunch of garbage, uh, Big Bang, all that's nonsense. Um, just read the Bible as it is. And that's a, a, a literalist view. I mean, you can believe that and be a Christian, for sure. But I, I don't find that really compelling in terms of what the text itself tells us. Another way people looked at this, they said these days, this word in Hebrew, day, it can mean day, but it can also mean long period of time. You know, the, the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. They just say these could be day, you know, like we say back in the day, you should have seen Jeremy on the basketball court. Back in the day, he, you know, like I could say that, and that would, he would know I'm talking about not a specific day, but back when we were in college together. So it would be like then, like a long period of time. That could be what's going on here. So some people said these are days, and, but, the, but they're really long spans of time. So you've got the earth developing, and then by the time you get to day four, the skies are clearing, and you can start to see the stars and all of that, and then your birds, fish, all that. That's fine, too. You can look at it that way. And under that situation, dinosaurs would be somewhere in here on day five. We've got great swimming things and flying things, and then everything between this and this would be the time when you'd have the dinosaurs. There's maybe true. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, that's as good as any. But to me, the most compelling thing about all of this is look at the pattern that's laid out, and it helps to box it in. It helps if the marker worked. But if you look at what's going on, these days are not haphazard. They're not. <laughs> so these, these days aren't just thrown together. There's a pattern here. When you re read day four, if you read your Bible carefully, God says, God created the greater light and the lesser light, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night. To rule over the things on these days are the things that rule over these days. You've got the rulers on these days, and you've got their realms on these days. What are the fish and the birds? What do they do? They rule over the water and the sky. And then what do mammals plant, especially agricultural man and animals, bovines, cattle, animals, what do they do? They rule over the land and the plants. They actually cultivate the land and the plants. So this, this pattern, and I didn't make this up. This is thousands of years old. People have noticed this for a long time. But this is screaming out at you, I am not to be read as a literal scientific account. The Bible is not a biology textbook. It's not an astronomy textbook. This is a very, very tightly knit, clear, if anything, it's closest, closer to a worship song than anything else, because there's refrains, there's like a chorus, there was, there was evening and morning, day one, there was evening and morning, day two, that'd be like the chorus, and then there's also the refrain of, and God saw blank, and it was good, God saw blank, and it was good, and then it culminates on the sixth day, with God saw people, and it was, everything was very good. So Genesis 1, and then Genesis 2 will jump back into the events of just day six, 
and talk about what it was like actually with those first two people. So it's not this, just read it and follow along. So again, what does that do with dinosaurs? Well, what it tells me when I read Genesis is, I'm not reading a science textbook. I'm reading an ancient Near East epic, worshipful, poetic account of God's creating the earth. And he created it with a very clear pattern. And he created realms, and then he put the rulers in those realms. And it's all patterned around a seven-day work week. Because what would you do if you lived in the ancient Near East, and you're a farmer, or you're a herdsman, or, or whatever you do, what would you do? You'd get up, you'd go to work. You'd do your work, then there'd be evening, then there'd be morning, then you'd get up and do it again. You'd work on the second thing, and there'd be evening, and there'd be morning. And then you'd do it again for a week. And then on the seventh, you would rest, because that's the Sabbath. This is God patterned the whole creation account around the everyday life of the worker in the ancient Near East. So when we're reading it, if we don't know that, then we'll start reading it going, where are the dinosaurs? Where's the Big Bang? Where's you know, all this stuff I learned about in science? And, and then the, the worst thing that we'll do is we'll get mad at the Bible for not giving us those things. Like, oh, the Bible's so stupid. I can't believe they didn't tell us about the fossil record. It's, it's like criticizing the phone book for not giving you your favorite recipe. Right? It's, it's, that's... It, it's two different things. So what do you do when you come to something in the Bible that looks one way and then you learn about something in science and the natural world that looks another way? Well, you always remember the purpose. You always remember the purpose. Um, if I held up, and this is where if I had a, a slide projector or whatever and had prepared to work in this, but <laughs> this will work. Use your imaginations. If I held up a picture of the Mona Lisa, Everybody seen the Mona Lisa? It's a painting, Leonardo da Vinci. Okay, she's kind of smiling, but kind of not. Looks a little androgynous. Don't know if it's a man or a woman necessarily that used as his model. Whatever, all kinds of weird theories. But regardless, famous painting. Probably the most famous painting in history. So if I held up Mona Lisa in this hand, and in this hand, I held up a selfie that Mike had taken today on the ski slopes. All right. If I held those up, and and I said, um, which of these represents a person? Which of these shows a human? What would you say? They both do, but they don't look anything alike. He doesn't look like Mona Lisa. She doesn't. She doesn't look like him. Well, look, you know, the, the beard area. Yeah, um, but they're they're totally different. They look nothing alike. Or, take it even further, a better example, what if I held up a picture of Mona Lisa and then I held up an anatomy chart from your anatomy textbook that shows all the veins and the heart and the skeleton and everything with labels and, and you know, cutaway sections and I said, which one of these depicts a person? Both of them do. But they don't look anything alike. I don't see any muscles and veins and skeletal systems in the Mona Lisa. Well, Leonardo da Vinci didn't want to portray that. There was, he, that was not the purpose for the Mona Lisa. It was to capture the image of this woman. Well, I look at this scientific anatomy chart, and it doesn't look beautiful. It doesn't, look, it doesn't inspire me with awe and beauty. Well, it's not supposed to. It's supposed to tell you what the muscles are and where they are and where to cut and where not to cut and all of that kind of stuff for training. Two completely separate purposes. But the question, well, which one is a person? And both of them are. So the same thing with Bible and science. 
You look at the Bible and you get it. Well, which is true, the Bible or science? They're both true. I mean, good biblical interpretation and good scientific interpretation are both true. Now, there's bad Bible interpretation and bad science interpretation. But at their best, they're both true. One's Mona Lisa, one's an anatomy chart. And so that's helpful. And and not just the question about dinosaurs, questions about anything when you start to get into, I can't correspond this to what's going on in the world. So remember that. That's a, that's a helpful analogy. I learned it in high school, and, um, and it served me really well, actually, through college, because it let me not be afraid to learn. It let me not be afraid to do science classes and learn about evolution and Big Bang cosmology and, and you know, the, the um, anthropology and all of these theories of man's development, all this stuff. It let me learn all that stuff and be like, cool, that's all right. I'll learn that, and, and maybe, I don't know if I completely agree with everything, but I'm open to it. Because I don't have to judge it all by a particular literal reading of the Bible. So it's really freeing. And that that ends up, some of you in here probably will go into the sciences. um, And you will have to learn these things. And you will, uh, you'll be better for it if you are able to do that. Take all the knowledge, all the information, and say, cool, let, let me see what you have. Let me see the world around me. And let me take it for what I'm seeing in it. And then let me see scripture and take it for what I'm seeing in it and not try to always have to cram those two together and make them match in every detail. So, does that answer?